What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Editor Brian Wagner, and this week we have the second head of the two-headed monster that is the NHRA announcing team, the Podfather, Joe Castillo. Joe, what's going on? Hey, Brian. How are you? Doing great, man. Uh, getting ready to watch a little racing this weekend, and then I'm a uh, wheels up myself to uh, cover my what will probably be my last race of the year, the World Cup. So uh, the world, the the, the the days are just flying by. The season has gone by. The, the year has gone by very fast. I know everybody says that around this time of year, but it is amazing how rapidly this 2022 racing season went by. I felt like it wasn't long ago that we were thinking, wow, you know, there's, there's uh, it takes a while for the season to get started. And just like that, it's pretty much over two races. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it's it's crazy when you look at the schedule as a whole. I was talking to my dad about this, that, you know, he, he mentioned the word off-season. Of course, you know, we giggle. I'm like, there is no off-season. There's just, like, less racing season, you know what I mean? And looking at the calendar, and I've really started to crunch the numbers and look at it, I'm like, we're to the point now where there is a major race every month of the year in some form of drag racing year-round now. It's beautiful. Oh, it really is. And there, and you and I have had this discussion, and I don't know, at some point we got to stop giving these folks any racing is dying and that the sport is uh, not what it wants. They're dealing with a different metric than we are, and I don't know what theirs is, but right now there's some sort of really cool race, too many cool races to go to. Really, like you'd really be on the road a lot if you're going to every race, including the big money bracket races, uh, etc. But in 2023, I'm actually very interested because the schedule for the NHRA is going to change a little bit. And the first race is the Gator Nationals. And I know you know this, but that's going to change the dynamic a little bit. The off season is going to be longer. So we're going to be creating content without actual racing action for a while. And, uh, and it starts on the East Coast at the Gator Nationals, you know, one of the biggest races. So, I don't know, I feel like that's going to feel a little different in 2023. Also, the schedule, it just seemed uh, almost every other week, something like that. Um, so, I'm excited about uh, 2023 and how they're trying to fix little problems. Yeah, it's, it's interesting starting with the Gators next year. And that, uh, that threw a slight... Uh, I'm not going to say wrench that changes, you know, how we look at things and how we, you know, typically schedule what events we go to. So, you know, usually the Gators are circled on there as the first, you know, big race that we can hit here on the East Coast for coverage. Now it is the season opening race. So that just completely, I think, adds two more layers of prestige to that event. And that's a good thing. Oh, definitely. But hey, it's my fault. I let us down the road of schedule talk, which is not nearly as exciting as the on-track action as we get ready to go to Vegas. Uh, as you know, big news day with the whole Tony Stewart top alcohol dragster thing. But championships are absolutely on the line. And coming in off Dallas, I think it's, uh, it's a very compelling world championship story. So, oh. Vegas, baby. Yeah, let's talk some Camping World stuff here. We're starting Pro Stock Motorcycle, and I'm going to preface this right off the bat before we talk about each class. All the points races this year have been, a great word is dramatic in one word, you know, one phrase or one way or another, they've all been dramatic. And looking at the points, I think the, the story to me is you've got Matt Smith, number one, Joey Gladstone, number two. And I remember when I was at Norwalk this year, the buzz was Gladstone might win his first race, but he ended up doing, you know, he didn't win that one. But now he's maneuvered himself to potentially go from first-time race winner to first-time champion in the same year. Joey Gladstone is a great story just from the start of his career. And the more we get to know him, the more star power he's got. But, He's going up against Matt Smith, who is a five-time champ. He's the defending champ, and he's got the best bike all year long. Joey is within striking distance 
but Matt has a decent lead. It's like 50 some odd points. But what, what I like to do with situations like this is if somehow, uh, and Joey, they've been fast. They got Corey Reed. They got Michael Phillips over there. These are all experienced guys, kind of like uh, pirates, uh, you know, like a you know, rapscallion bunch kind of doing it by their own rules, per se. If they can scrap it out with Matt Smith and beat him, oh, my God, that would be one of the best stories ever because he's obviously the favorite. The guy is good. He's got multiple bikes. He's a gamer. Tricky Ricky, his dad, taught him well. He wants – he's on a mission. Matt Smith is on a mission to have his name spoken with Andrew Hines and Dave Schultz as six-time champions, and he's got something to prove. So if Joey Gladstone and Corey Reed and those guys can rise to the occasion and beat him for the championship, it would be an unbelievable story. That alone, totally worth focusing in on. Oh, yeah, and the thing about Gladstone this year is, I mean, he's keeping him honest. He is, you know, pressure burst pipes. And, you know, Matt Smith's got some strong pipes, but Joey is right there breathing down his neck, reading his emails over his shoulder. So Matt's really got to – he can't let his guard down at all. Or, you know, Joey's going to just ride right on by him. Exactly. And, you know, what's been funny is that Matt has uh, come on uh, and done an interview after one of his recent wins. There are many. And he said flat out before the countdown, the guy he was most concerned about was Joey Gladstone. And that's who is shaping up to pressure him. Jerry Savoie is still in the mix. Steve Johnson's still in the mix, but they need a little help, which happens. People lose first or second round all the time, parts failures. You just can't give it to anybody just yet. Too much road to go. Um, but Matt Smith is in the lead, and Joey is a great story right behind. Yeah, that's, you yeah. know, I've really become more uh, in tune with the pro stock bike class in the past couple of years because of the personalities. I love Steve Johnson. He's probably one of my favorite just people on earth. And, you know, having him just lurking in the background as someone else that, you know, you got to be careful because you never know when all of a sudden all the lights are going to click and, you know, he starts ripping stuff off. He, you know, you, you learn to win a championship by you losing one. And he did that last year. And he's someone that, you know, again, is just right on that outside with a little bit of help could be right in the mix. A chance to raise his game. Uh, he's shown earlier this year that he can be fast and, He's a work in progress and hopefully getting better. And I agree with you that Steve is one of the most colorful personalities we have out there. But this is your chance. Everybody wants the opportunity. Go win two races and you will have a shot to be the world champion. Yeah. And that, that's... But it's hard. It's hard to do it. It's, that's the thing. Saying it from my car is super easy to do. Actually doing it. Totally different thing altogether 100% now let's take a look at pro stock next which you know it all I gotta say is Erica Enders is one bad mamma jamma behind the wheel and she has like I guess the 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 best way to describe is just crushed people this year she has ground them down and just worn on them and it's hers to lose but again, it's just it's been impressive what she's done this year, in my opinion. Oh yeah. Blows me away. Um, I'm while I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about Erica and how as great as you know, she gets a lot of credit. I don't think she gets enough credit for her abilities. And for whatever reason in the world of motorsport in general, drag racers kind of get disrespected because we don't turn for whatever reason. But if this was a lady racer in NASCAR or IndyCar dominating the competition the way Erica is, I think they'd be getting a lot more mainstream attention for whatever reason. I, I think that's kind of disrespect to drag racing that happens, but whatever. Um, she came out this year. She said she was going to be no more Miss Nice Erica. Um, I coined the phrase, phrase meanie, right? Because... That's how she wants to drive. She's not talking about personally, but drive. And she has done it. Absolutely backed up everything she said from the start of the season. And there you go. Greg Anderson wins the U.S. Nationals, wins his 100th event. Great season for Greg as the champ. But Elite Motorsports, in particular the red car, has been head and shoulders above everybody all year long. And the second place car, 
all year long has been Aaron Stanfield, and they are second in points. So it's really been a season of dominance for elite motorsports. And some other guys, you know, got, got, got wins in there. Greg got a win in there. Hartford got a win in there. There are a couple others. But it's just been Erica 2022. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just brutalizing people. And that's, you know, it, the, the thing that is interesting about pro stock is it's a, it's a two-part formula. You know, you, ha- you have to have the performance. You have to have the car. But the driver... You know, the driver is what carries that the rest of the way through. And it's amazing to me that people don't understand you have to be flawless in one of those cars if you want to win. If you hiccup in the slightest way, you know, in the, in the, say even the semis on, you're going home plain and simple. And that's what kind of separates Erica from everybody else. And I was kind of hoping to see her and Greg, you know, kind of have an absolute another slobber knocker battle out to the end because those two going at it it's uh to me that's one of my favorite rivalries because they they are so they, they are golf polite and professional but you can tell just below the surface that if you gave them the opportunity to fist fight they very well might <laughs> you know i don't know they definitely between the uh the shops and there's a rivalry. There's a genuine rivalry, but there is also respect. Oh, huge! And that has come through. That has come through years of just clobbering each other back and forth. And Greg got his fifth, and Erica's going to get her fifth, and they are the two defining drivers of right now. And if you like pro stock, you know I think about all the other forms of drag racing there are out there, and everybody is entitled to be interested in whatever they want. But sometimes I read stuff about, you know, like NHRA drivers being too polished or too mainstream or too uh, corporate. Like this is the this is the top level of drag racing worldwide. There is going to be sponsors. These people are fighting for their jobs. They're just not they're they're fighting for their position. And uh, to me, it's amazing to watch. Right. Like this is major league motorsport. And. Everything is being put into this to be successful. And to see Elite dominate the way they have, it's pretty uh, amazing. You know, I guess you'd have to compare them to Red Bull in Formula One if you're going to expand that conversation because they have just crushed them. Yeah, yeah. This year, I mean, you, you look at the top, the top five, and it's dominated by three Elite cars, you know? And three good drivers with, you know, some the KB cars kind of mixed in there. But, you know, in the, in the battle, you know, if the, in the battle of war and attrition, they, they've got the numbers over the KB cars right now. Just, you know, it's, it's performance based. And so regarding the driver, driving the Liberty with such a precision, which I've never driven a Liberty. Okay. But I would love to. Uh, I got to start Hartford's Pro Stock car a while back and feel the experience of the clutch pushing back as you rev the engine. And just in that millisecond of feeling all that different feedback coming at me, throttle, clutch, shifter, you've got to hold it in gear and uh, go through that process. In that moment, I was able to understand, oh, my God, this is very, very hard to accomplish at all, number one. No offense to letting off a trans brake button, which I've done. Um, it's just a different animal, and people can't possibly understand it, and we probably do a bad job of explaining it. But what Erica and all the best of the best, these guys that can go Dallas Glenn, you know, can go 10. I need to go 10. I'm going to go 10. But Erica's the best of all of them that can do it. Well, you need to be 009 or better to win the race. And she does it. That's insanity. It's just, we can't, it's so hard to explain because nobody's had the experience of what that thing feels like. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I've, you know, this past year with my uh, project car, I've learned, I, I got the experience and learned how to try to leave off a trans brake and, you know, try to be as accurate as I can with a shift point in just a very simple nine second car. And that's, you know, to do that regularly, it's not super easy, but it's, you know, it's definitely obtainable for sure. But to be perfect with one of those cars is just, it's unbelievable to watch them do what they have to do each hit. Yeah. 
And they, ha- and they have to be. I, I, I've been, and I don't want anybody to think I'm disrespecting anybody in any way. Uh, it's more, I am amazed by the highest levels of NHRA drag racing. It just, I think it's a worthy of the attention because it is so darn hard to do. Um, but hey, to, to, to everybody, their own deal. Because even in NHRA, people don't get pro stock. You know, it's all about nitro, of course. But I'm a fan of pro stock, and so I'm very intrigued by what goes on. It, it, it intrigues me at the same level as when I'm watching a you know a dirt track race, like some some dirt late models, and watching these guys throw the perfect slide job lap after lap to kind of gain an advantage. It's just watching them place that car where they want to place it. And then you hear them talk after the race and they can recount like, Oh, on lap 37, I did this. It's like, dude, on I racing, I put my car on the wall on a regular basis. And you're sitting here, you know, thinking about doing your taxes, being able to do that is just, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Well, and that's the thing about a professional at any level of anything, they make it look easy. And it's because they have put in, thousands of hours of work time effort to achieve the level that they've achieved and it's just uh it's amazing stuff now you mentioned nitro let's move on to funny car which is the uh i'm gonna call it the the first of our uh, battle royale nitro categories here i i, I told loans on one of his facebook posts that this and that the top fuel point standings remind me of the final scene of Anch- you know, the, the fight scene in anchorman when all of the different news organizations come together to fight, that's pretty much the Nitro Point standings. It's all these different news crews coming in to kick the crap out of each other. And Nitro right now, Robert in, in Funny Car, Height, Caps, and Hagen are the ones that are just, they're beating on each other the most, and it's been amazing to watch. So coming into the season, I get to write a column in National Dragster and, um, which is great. And, you know, every once in a while I'm stressed, like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to write about? But this year I wanted to lay down a, a, a hyperbolic marker that it would be the greatest season of NHRA drag racing ever. And, yes, it's totally over the top. But it's happening. It's amazing to see you've got these funny car teams Robert Hype for John Force Racing with Jimmy Proc. Arguably the best ever. Certainly not named Force, uh, winningest. You've got Jimmy Proc, who many consider to be the best crew chief that is uh, currently available. Under, worked under Austin Coyle, all that stuff. Going up against Ron Caps in his first year of being a team owner. There are just so many amazing stories that are of teams that are at their best. No one is like, well, we're waiting on to get the thing that we need to be better. We, uh, there's a new piece of machinery that they have that we don't have. They've got an advantage. Nobody's got an advantage on anybody. Everybody's got at the best of the best, everything that they want. And they're just throwing down on top of each other. And it's like, what, what else could you possibly want out of, 3.8 3.8 second side by side 335 mile per hour funny car racing that involves all four major manufacturers. You got Dodge out there, you got Ford out there, you got Chevy out there, you got Toyota out there. Everybody's got a new body. Tony Stewart owns one of the teams. Everybody's got a personality. You know, they talk about NASCAR and I love NASCAR. But one of the complaints is, is like, oh, you know, the guys are vanilla and their personalities are all the same, etc. and so on. We should have better personalities in drag racing. Think of the people you've got in just funny car. Caps is like, you know, the smooth corporate guy, height, a quiet, analytical, but great uh, marksmanship character. John Force, madman of all time. Like Casca. These guys are all interesting people all on their own. And they're all throwing down on top of each other. All versus oil, all. Super battle oil. It's awesome. Like, Funny Car is awesome and a long way to go, but with Caps and Robert Height nearly tied, 10 points. Yeah, they're, they're pretty much, you know, they're, they're in literally in the, in the driver's seat on what's going to happen. And, you know, 
Hagen and Force are both kind of on a wing and a prayer at this point, hoping for some help. But it's pretty much uh, height and caps just basically for the next two races going toe-to-toe to try to just obliterate each other. And I think at this point it's pretty much, you know, they're just telling the shops, you got any spare parts? Send them. Send everything. Send spare everything because we're going to, you know, drive over the crank, put pistons in the low orbit, whatever it takes to win, we're going to do it. Well, and, and what does it take to win? And the answer is there's a lot of qualifying points that are going to be available, and it's going to be, a, a, a you know, I hate to say a chess match because that doesn't sound super exciting, right? But the mental side of it is going to be like the, the getting max points every time down. How do you do that? What's it going to take? Uh, and is it going to take an 87 or is it going to take an 85? The other day it took 82. Um, what the heck is that, right? There was an extra $15,000. Dickie Venables tunes it up and sends it. It goes 82. And it was crazy. And, you know, like the world, it was like a wormhole opened up and the car went down. So funny car is going to be great. It's super exciting. Well, I know you have a lot of listeners that are maybe not, you know, NHRA camping world drag racing is just one of the many styles of drag racing they follow. Time to check in. Now, like, you don't have to watch all year long, but I'd pay attention for these next two races. And, and that brings us to Top Fuel, which has been insane this year on so many different levels. I'm pretty sure that some of the crew chiefs might want to file criminal charges against David Grumnick for assault and battery with what he's done with that car and the records this year. And Brittany's right there within striking distance with Justin Ashley. To me, that's going to be wild to watch those two kind of, you know, fiddle it out. Yeah, it's another, it's different because in Funny Car, you've got all these established heavy hitters. Robert Height, multiple championships, going for four. Caps, going for three. Hagen, going for four. John Force, going for 17. You know, Tasca's trying to get his first. But established hitters in top fuel we've had the torrents domination for four years in a row and he's still in the middle of this quietly like not that he's been counted out but it's just interesting to see this uh drive for five if you will for torrents but justin ashley is like edging ahead and has been really good in the countdown and if you remember last year he was emerging as a rival to Steve last year. And so it's not over by any means. There's a long way to go. A lot of rounds. But Brittany led the points all year long for the most part. If Justin Ashley were to jump up in the countdown and steal the championship away, obviously that would be a credit to him and his team. But you know, I guess second would be good. But there's no guarantee where anybody is going to finish right now because you got Antron Brown. And you got Steve Torrance and you got Brittany all within 16 points, like second through fifth. And the Coletta cars are starting to wake up. Sean Langdon took out Steve, took out Brittany in first and second round. He's pretty, you know, pretty much out of it. Uh, big championship wise, but they could win a couple of races. They could win a race. There's a lot going on. Salinas, everybody out to prove, uh, to get the best season possible, to win two races and get the best season possible. And who knows what that would do for the points. But right now, with two races to go, Justin Ashley, if he wins two races, he's the champ. And that, you know, it reminds me a lot of postseason baseball that Ashley and Antron Brown, they've gotten hot at the right time. They, they've, they've figured out, you know, what they needed to do, and they, they're clicking at the right time. And, you know, it might seem like Brittany might be fading a little bit, but again, you know, like I said, two races left, they're still plenty of time for her to, to do what she needs to do. But it's just, to me, it's interesting to see how Ashley and Antron have just, you know, seem to have just woken up and like, Oh, well, let, let, let's just go ahead and try to, you know, win this right now. Uh, two different storylines there. Uh, Justin has been pretty competitive all year long, made some final rounds, had some success uh, along the way. 
Antron was a bit lost in the woods as they had taken over ownership of the team and they kind of bought a whole bunch of new technology all at the same time and they were sorting it all out and putting it all together and they, they figured it out. Some new superchargers, but just a lot of new stuff in the program. And so that was Antron's deal. Justin has been in race mode most of the year, which is why I think it's actually showing up right here and right now. Mike Green having a great time, like enjoying what's going on. Tommy DeLago told me earlier this year uh, in St. Louis that this is the most fun he's ever had on any race team ever and that he's had a lot of fun, but he's just like loving it. So they got a great chemistry over there, and you know that's always good. That's been the secret to Capco's success is their chemistry uh, over the years. Like they're all for one, one for all, fighting it out uh, for themselves. And I think that uh, Justin Ashley's team has really stepped forward with that. And you mentioned something earlier there about the, the Coletta cars kind of waking up. And I, I've kind of been watching them kind of out of the side eye, kind of like, you know, what, what's really going on there? And to me, it seems like all of a sudden, like the waking up phrase makes sense. And I'm wondering if what they are learning now coming is going to be setting the stage for a grand reemergence in 23. I would like to. I, I think so. I hope so. That's the thing. We, we hope so. That would be awesome. Those of us who are just looking for entertainment value and to see the highest, you know, the coolest drag racing. Of course, Alan Johnson and Brian Houston with Doug Coletta out there in the mix on a regular basis. That would be great. And uh, it's just taken a little longer than I think people expected. Everybody that I, in my experience, and I've worked on the tour for about 10 years, and so I'm you know, learning a lot still, a lot. But people will come up with a concept and expect it to take X amount of time just like by setting a goal. And it takes longer. It takes a lot longer. And so, I don't know. You look at Alan Johnson and the way that team is coming along right now. And Sean has been quick and quicker. They put a 60 up on the board. I think they're getting really close. And I agree with your sentiment. Come 2023, watch out. Because that collided, both those Coletta teams will have been Alan Johnsonified. And the selfish part of me wants to see Coletta... Doug Coletta come alive and see Tony Stewart join the Nitro ranks, and we see Doug Coletta and Tony Stewart race because then we could talk about how they used to race open wheel cars together, and it would just be the best storyline ever. Really, it would. Uh, really, it would. Not to get too ahead of it, but Tony had a press conference uh, earlier today and announced his first race out in Vegas with the McPhillips top, you know, a fuel dragster, and. This just shakes up the apple cart a lot, and that's what we kind of need. He said it himself, that drag racing is on its own island, and it's its own thing. And that's great and also a difficult challenge because how do you get people from the outside to come in, you know, sports car guys that are very talented and got money and, like, find value in what we're doing, NASCAR guys, Indy car guys. For Tony Stewart to, to come in and be like, oh, my God, this is awesome. This is interesting, and I love it, and I'm having so much fun doing it, and the atmosphere is so great, and maybe I can make a couple of bucks, and I might go racing again. Like, that's that's a great story for drag racing, and unless he has, like, you know, a bad time this weekend out there in the McPhillips car, which I don't think he is, um, it bodes well. That would be great to see Tony in a top fuel dragster running for points. Oh, my God. What a story. Oh, it you talk about bringing some personality into the mix. You know, some of these young whippersnappers might know, but uh, go to YouTube and type in Tony Stewart's greatest interviews. Just watch those for a minute and drink in, you know, that to me, he was one of the best in NASCAR, one of the most entertaining because he'll just tell you what's up. And to have that in drag racing, I think that would make some people uncomfortable and it would be great. Well, you know, we'll see. I feel like drag racing Tony is a kinder, gentler Tony. Um, but you put him under the uh, you know, the intense level of competition out there, and if something happens that 
he's uh, annoyed about or disappointed, competitor Tony, I'm sure, will come out. Yes, give me competitor Tony. Yeah, well, that's it all depends on the moment and what just happened, and uh, everybody handles it differently. And that's why I'm excited about this. You know, you got the Camping World Series Championship, and you've got this interesting side story of Tony Stewart shining a great spotlight on the top alcohol dragster category, which is just loaded with more cool people and cool personalities. Julie Natas, uh, Joey Severance, Sean Cowie. These guys are all uh, characters and great racers unto themselves. Um, He's going to shine a lot of spotlight on those guys. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be very good for everybody involved. And, you know, by the way, there's people who don't care about Tony Stewart, right? A lot of drag racing people. The thing about, Matt Hagen that makes him cool is that Matt Hagen didn't really know anything about Tony Stewart. He had to go to Google to figure it out. Like, who is this guy that just bought my team? And, uh, you know, there are drag racers that don't care about NASCAR or IndyCar. So some guys coming in. Okay. Welcome. And, you know, we, we've talked about all the camping world stuff, but let's throw something else fun out of the wind. You know, the pro mod season has already come to a close you know, we had an interesting year this year with how that championship unfolded. What are your thoughts on that? Was Chris Thorne emerging as a, uh, a personality, you know, like a someone in the category. It had been pretty much dominated the past few years. You know, Jose Gonzalez and Stevie Fast and Ricky, these personalities that we had gotten used to uh showing up on a regular basis and then here comes chris thorne and he dominated the season he started off like gangbusters and uh and he won it you know a couple of moments uh ricky didn't go to the final race ricky says he's retired from nhra drag racing and that's fine for ricky um but chris thorne they did what they had to do and they went out to the final race and they won it so congratulations to those guys and uh you know like i want to see chris own it and be the champ. It's good. It'll, it'll be fun next year because, you know, those other guys are coming back. Oh, he, he's a silent assassin and he's got, you know, a great team behind him with Jamie Miller. His crew chief is a bad man. You talk to Jamie for a while on a technical level and you're going to learn stuff. I've got to work with him on some other projects, do interviews with him, had him on the show. And that dude in the drag racing world, he thinks in five dimensions. It's amazing to hear, like, when you see his mind work and what he wants to do, he's a very smart guy. Well, I talked to him on the starting line a couple of times in Richmond, and uh, I, also, <laughs> I also know a lot of Chris's success was correlated with him being at that track. Um, that's what NHRA and Fuel Tech Pro Mod is it's uh, a magnet for the high for the, the best thinkers the best crew chiefs you, if you're going to be successful you have to be like that and it's amazing what promod has become and obviously the new power adder this year with the screw supercharger and the stuff uh, stevie did and and those guys have got a great combination that it's fast those cars are just wicked fast and it's fun to watch i love the fact that the nhra let screws in because to me that is like the greatest power adder ever. You know, you listen to them on a top alcohol car. They're awesome. There's just something about a screw blower that it sounds so angry. And you hear it, you know, when, when Stevie gives the old throttle whaps, the way that that blower just like, it has this rattling exhale that is just different than anything else out there. And I think that's kind of what helps make ProMod interesting. You have that power outer and all the other ones out there that all have, I think they almost, didn't they almost all win this year? Didn't every power adder win at least one race? I think so. I don't have that stat, but I think just off the top of your head, did a screw supercharger? He did not get a win, did it? Stevie, yeah. I don't know. I think uh, that would be an incredible stat for Lonnie and the folks in the NHRA tech department. But they're getting pretty good at this. They've made a lot of changes over the course of the year, and you know, not everybody likes what they do. And now with Ricky being gone, I don't know what's going to happen with the nitrous uh, situation. Definitely want want to have nitrous, but. Well, is a tech department, they're like the auditors of drag racing. And, you know, they're they're designed to almost, when it comes to be making rules, not liked. Because, 
everybody's always going to have some complaint about the rules at a certain point or another because it takes away a perceived advantage. And in pro mod, you know, it makes them work and have to spend money. Yeah, which is really what it is. It's like you're making us spend money. We just put that together, and now we have to take it apart and make it different. Yes, I can understand being annoyed. Yes, but for the greater good. Yeah, it, it's like you know when you uh, when I had raced at the NMCA finals, I was pitted by the uh, the teardown barn. And I walked by the teardown bar and I just looked at it. I'm like, in my mind, I'm just thinking about all the many, many decades of racers that have had to go into the tear teardown barn and just like the size of anguish that come out of there have got to be, you know, the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah, the, the teardown barn is, is just a side of it that nobody likes, but it's necessary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they go, oh my gosh, I got to. I, I, Joe Santangelo got torn down somewhere and he put it all back together. He was up till like four in the morning. He was scared to death that it wouldn't run and it ran. And I think he got to the final round and run it up maybe. Uh, it's out of Maple Grove, but it's part of it. The idea that you got to get torn down right before round one eliminations, that's, uh, that's tough. It's something that you've always uh, got to be prepared for, right? Doesn't happen to us bracket racers, baby. We go in there and we just put it in the trailer and come out and stage it up. Yeah. At least that's how it used to be. You know, I, I uh, when Sam Tech was working with me to build my engine and Judd was like, you know, what are your goals? I said, reliability, low maintenance. What about a horsepower number? I'm like, I'm not worried about horsepower. I want reliability and low maintenance because I don't want to have to be working on this thing until two in the morning at all times. I don't want to run it on the ragged edge. I want to change fluids, change spark plugs, set valves. That's it. Yeah. Send it. Have fun. Fun factor 10. Yeah. Exactly. That, 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 that. And that's, but that's the thing. That's why class racers are special because they are serious about it and they're willing to work and they will tear it down and they will find that special manifold that gives them five horsepower so that they can be quicker than you. And that that's, you know, that's class racing. So many different layers. It's really a great sport. And back to our original conversation, which is healthy as can be. Healthy as can be right now. We could use some more facilities, honestly. Um, losing facilities is sketchy. Um, but it is what it is. You know, I would love a, a new facility down here in southeastern Florida. We've got the car culture. We have the demand. It's just about property and real estate. Um, and I don't know. I don't have a solution to that. I don't know what to do. Unfortunately, that is a problem for all forms of motorsports is that tracks are worth more dead than they are alive these days for the simple fact for real estate. It's society like where tracks used to be safe. They aren't anymore because just humans are growing out that far. And the problem is that you got to find new patches of land to put tracks on. And it's, you know, this isn't exactly a $28 investment to build a new track. And it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a rough pill to swallow for us. Yeah. It certainly is. Yeah, and you can't just redevelop land. It does make you wonder, um, you know, do you have to just push out to a new way the heck out there? But where, like here in South Florida, they supposedly are working on a track 25 minutes north of the old Palm Beach International Raceway. And there's a group, that Formula Racing group, and I think it's called Atlantic Farms Racetrack or something. Um, but they made the announcement, and then they've gone dark now. So what are we talking? Five years from now? Who knows? Um, it's just so difficult to get a drag strip built, which means fight hard for yours wherever it is. Because once it goes away, chances are it's not coming back. Uh, as happened with Palm Beach. You know, they shut down the action there. They lost their sale. They, the, the people who were buying it pulled out. But the track still sits vacant, and the property owner... Uh, I don't want to say out of spite, but probably saying it's never going to be a drag strip again and keeping it close. And so, you know, like uh, the earth is reclaiming it with weeds and you, you've seen those shots. Yeah, it's, it's like in Atlanta. It's, you know, it's this weird post-apocalyptic drag racing nightmare. You know, I don't like yeah. to see stuff like that. But 
Exactly. You mentioned we need more facilities, but there are, you know, you have on the plus side like that track in West Virginia that just, you know, finally was able to get open. There's a small track I saw in Kentucky that's, again, it's a very small kind of, we'll say an outlaw-style track that – opened up this year, tried to do stuff. People said the track wasn't long enough. So these boys said, all right, they flopped open their pocketbook and extended the track to give them more shutdown. They're like, now you don't have an excuse to come race. So it's, it's again, it's one of those double-edged swords where, you know, we're losing some high-profile facilities, some smaller ones are opening up, but it all circles back to the fact that anybody listening to the show needs to realize, support your local racetrack. Just do it. Don't complain, you know, Go on a regular Friday night and just see what's going on. Have fun. Yes. And uh, let me uh, tag team that with the and all you local small track operators do something so that your people will have a good time. Do something extra. Make sure your bracket racers know that you love them and appreciate them. Make sure you've got good food at the concession stand that some guy's wife is going to enjoy it enough to want to come back next time. Like, yeah, that was fun. Well, yeah, I had a good hot dog there. I'll go back. Or, nah, it stunk. I don't want to go hang out with you and your racer friends. Um, there's, there's a responsibility, I think, on both of those. And track operators can make Friday night fun. They can make Saturday night fun they can make the track the place to be they could hire a band they can do a hundred different things to keep the track uh active and when i was coming up our track was active wednesday thursday saturday there was something going on out there wednesday thursday saturday testing tune and it was always packed i'm talking miami hollywood speedway which is now gone since 1992 but it was a scene there was food there was people it was a hangout spot people would go exactly just to see what was going on let's go check out the track um but then again you have to be close to a metropolitan area to have that kind of vibe well at the same time though you know here in ohio one of my experiences at uh you know kill care dragway here you know small track about 40 minutes from my house i've been there for you know we used to have a, a small local heads up racing series they packed the house with spectators for that. It was like there wasn't a huge turnout of heads up cars. It was mostly bracket cars, but still, there was a, like I was shocked. I'm like, there's a lot of people here to watch bracket racing, you know. And they just they made it fun. They pack it in, and you see events like street car takeover that does a they do a phenomenal job packing it in with spectators and killer cars. They make it entertaining. They do, you know, Justin and them have done like before the event meetups and things like that it's the way our society is now i i i've kind of understand now what loans has talked about this that the glory days are never going to be modernized because people's attention spans have shrunk exponentially we have entertainment systems in our pockets with phones things have changed racing needs all motorsports needs to modernize with the times and kind of understand that Yes. Well, d definitely. I think everybody does and should uh, in general. You, that's the best way to, to forge forward and to be successful is to understand what the reality is. And um, look at all the muscle cars that are available to us if we want to go mess around, whether it be the Charger, the Mustang, the Camaro, but countless imports. I do an announcing gig at Homestead Miami Speedway the round track, you know, the NASCAR track where they just had the Dixie Vodka 400 and it's called Fast Lane Friday. And it's been around for a little more than, I don't know, more than a decade. I think 15 years it's been around and, you know, maybe it started in 2008, 2009, something like that. Pit road, eighth mile drag racing for street cars. One lane is concrete. That's the pit boxes. The other lane is asphalt. So you can't have, equal drag racing we've got a little wi-fi tree that we set up and we take off and they get 300 cars they get a whole bunch of spectators uh all kinds of teens high school kids teens they're out there in their jeeps they're out there in their diesel trucks they're out there in brand new corvettes there's just a total diversity of cars imports a lot of bmws uh just going down the track Tesla's coming out, Tesla Mafia coming out, five, six in a crew. Um, they, they sit in the garages. So I 
through that, I've gotten to know some of these racers and I follow them on the gram, Instagram, and I see what they're doing. Brian, they're setting up little mini car shows and parking lots. And you know what they've got? They've got like regular cars. Like, you know, when I go to a car show, I expect to see a 69 Camaro or Firebird or some, something like there will be a Dodge, uh, a modern era four-door Dodge Avenger in the car show. And the dude is super proud of his ride. And he's like out there racing it and having fun. And God love him. Right? Like, isn't that what it's all about? Just having your car that you're proud of and going out and hanging with your buddies and doing something with it. 110% agree. I, you know, I like anything loud, fast, and dangerous. I like something that's got a decent amount of work put into it that's, of course, safe and whatnot. And it, it to me, I like going to our local Cars and Coffee here because you will legit see a brand new Ferrari sitting next to a LS-swapped BMW, missing the front fenders, but the kid just finished the swap up and he's having the time of his life. And then yep. you'll see, you know, a freaking immaculately restored Chevelle sitting next to a new Charger. And that's, to me, it's the diversity of the scene. And the, like that, that thing that you, you do at the, the Speedway there, I'd love to go to that just, you know, from the the uh, the media side of me, the magazine man, you know, that's a uh, that's a target rich environment for me. That's something I want to go to because there's so much cool stuff that you're going to see there that that's there needs to be more stuff like that. There really does. It's well, it's uh, and, and so back to the original, like you've got a lot of cars, you got a lot of material, you got people from all over that are into it. So things are healthy and from the professional drag racing side of things, we just have to figure out how to convert those cars and coffee hobbyists, the people who are out setting up little car shows in malls and enjoying their cars, into people who think, what is the highest level of this? Like, what is professional drag racer people? Like, what, what is that all about? And want to follow it the way they do with football and, uh, and baseball. Well, I think it can be done. I think it can be done. Some people aren't going to like what I'm about to say, and I'm perfectly okay with that. I think that we need to work on it as in a drag racing sport as a whole is stop being as judgmental as what we are to, well, that's not my kind of racing. Those guys are idiots. You know, I don't like this. I don't like that. I'm street only. No, if you are into contests of acceleration, then you need to help other people get into contest of acceleration, whether it's nitro, no prep, bracket racing, because the more butts we can put in the seats, the more tech cards we can sell, the healthier the sport's going to be across the board. End of discussion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, keep these manufacturers involved. Show them that we buy stuff. And do it like you gotta love what Dodge is doing with the advertising of power and motorsports, and uh, like they're going all in on it. I know there's been rumors about what's going to happen in the future, and I am concerned about all of that. But for manufacturer to go as heavy into drag racing as Dodge has, that's got to be like we got to call that out for a minute. Like they're, they're basically selling drag racing cars on television. You know, you and I talked about this before the show. Like my my next ether idea, the project in the sky is, you know, I want to build a modern Hemi vehicle for the simple fact that that is your best bang for your buck muscle car you can get right now. If you go through and look at used cars, the prices, mileage, condition, there's a lot of those cars out there that are affordable and there's a great upgrade path for them, you know. That's awesome. Yep. It's awesome to see that. And, you know, it, it's funny when they and when Dodge announced that they are going to disc, you know, they're not going to do the Challenger charge or whatever. Th th that could be a whole separate topic about EVs, this, that and the other. No one can predict the future on what's going to happen. But I will tell you this. I'm willing to bet my last gallon of race gas that we're still going to have ice vehicles going down the drag strip 30 years from this day willing to put money on it and people need to keep that mindset and stay positive and keep racing what they have enjoy it 
Absolutely. I'm not, I don't hate electric stuff because of what we said about staying up with technology and staying up with, with stuff. And honestly, the Teslas kick everybody's butt out there at the eighth mile racing because they never turn the tire. They just go right down the track. They always win. It's amazing. This guy comes up with a plaid and he drives in and he shows up and he, we set up a match race against one of our friends down there. He's got a 555 cubic inch Shafiroff engine with uh, nitrous and a 69 Z28. And uh, it's a great race. <laughs> it's a great race. They run 5-6-0 uh, to the 8th at Homestead, which is given we put the Tesla in the uh, asphalt side of the racetrack where his super traction can help him out. But my point is, 6-0 just drove in from the street, and he's going to drive that thing home? That's crazy fast. And if those electric cars keep getting faster and faster, like if the technology advances and you can drive in on a car that runs fives in the eighth, you know, like eights or high sevens, that's going to be something different altogether. But we're not there yet. And the sound of an engine is amazing. And I don't think electricity is practical for all applications. You're going to have to have internal combustion. Electri- all electricity is not practical. No. Um, Look at the hurricane, which has happened in Southwest Florida. I was thinking about, as someone who's interested in it, like what would be happening if they were all electric cars in the hurricane flood and, uh, and nobody could fill anything up? You know, a gas car, you could fill it up, but you go. Um, or mass migration, like, hey, we got to get away from Fort Myers. All right. And then everybody stops 400 miles later and they're stuck. Like, I don't know. That, uh, those are things to think about. But the sound of an internal combustion engine and the rev of the gas pedal and that feeling of being connected to the engine, that is its own unique thing. And I was told by a, a gentleman that uh, I interviewed for technology show, basically, and he was on the cutting edge of the electric thing. And he said flat out, he goes, we still race horses. There was a time where everybody had to have a horse to do your house stuff right? Carrying a wagon and you needed a horse. Everybody had a horse and now everybody does not have a horse, but we still race horses. And so you can still have fun with your racing horses and you can still have fun with your racing drag car. Um, the only thing would be something like the RPM Act uh, is trying to prevent where somehow racing got legislated out of business. But I, I'm sorry, I don't think any governing factor could accomplish that. People would freak out. And on both sides of the aisle, like there's too many fans of the automobile that that would happen. I don't see it. I yeah, that's that, that's just a matter of yeah, that ain't gonna happen. There there's there's a there's the uh, un the, the phrase unintended consequences comes to mind if they tried to 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 pull that madness out. But I, I, absolutely, like it's just it would be a prohibition that would not work. It just it would not work. They could not do it. I know everyone's afraid of that, but it's not like you just squat, which is why I think that auto sports and those of us who make our living around cars and shops, and they should always have some sort of program that is either a teaching STEM to the next generation or work ethic or technology or keep kids, uh, you know, off the streets. There should always be some sort of positive thing attached to the racing and the race team because of of that that's what's going to keep well you know what these guys uh there's some negatives but the positives vastly outweigh the negatives i think that's where we are right now frankly yeah totally the the gentleman my my good friend rick door he keeps his uh bracket dragster here at my house he's a teacher at the vocational school when they have their little you know when they try or they're trying to attract students to come to the vocational school He'll take his dragster there and let him, you know, check it out, you know, have it set up in the auto shop. And they'll have other students come to look at it and kind of explain the science, you know, that, that whole STEM deal behind it. And it's kids don't get exposed to that sort of thing. And when they hear a race car fire up, it gets their attention. You know, it's like, oh, wow, that's not a, a video game. What, what's going on here? This is this is a different sensation. That's how we get our hooks into them. Yeah, it's it's visceral. Racing is visceral. There's more. It's for people who are, I don't want to say bored by regular life, but definitely looking for something a little more intense. 
they come to racing. Speaking of visceral and intense, I wanted to, there's something you talked about, you know, the EV cars and that whole experience. And you mentioned Tesla Plaid. Have you ever ridden in a Tesla Plaid before? No, I haven't. James Lawrence has one and he took me for a ride in that car. And we, the best way to describe it is we rode it in mild, medium, and spicy. When he had that car turned all the way up, I've ridden in some violently fast all-wheel drive cars, did not hold a candle to that Tesla Plaid. That was the only way I can describe that experience is if you go to Disney World and you ride Space Mountain or Rock and Roller Coaster or any other roller coaster that takes you from zero to fast in a hurry and you get that pushing feeling of acceleration, your stomach drops out. That's what it was like to ride in that car at full tilt. I was blown away by it. It was different because it was so quiet, yet it was making different noises. So that to me, that's what makes electric cars interesting is they are violently fast, but they don't have the noise and the smell and that other, they have a different set of sensations. And I think if you get, you get a few people that are like EV suck. Okay. Throw them in that Tesla pad, take them for a joy ride. I have a feeling that their opinion might might start to change a little bit. I, oh, I agree. It, it all depends what you're into. Uh, if you're into very rapid acceleration, then you kind of got to give them a little bit of credit for what they've done. They don't spin the tires. That's the thing. They, uh, how much chassis work has to go into a, a car to get traction so that it can accelerate. We go through all this exercise with slick tires and and like, think of all that goes into it. Oh yeah. You don't need any of that anymore. The electric motor just doesn't spin and it applies all the power and you can achieve extremely quick and fast ETs. It's, it's, it's crazy um, to think about, but that's not what we're doing in drag racing. We're bracket racing. We're trying to put up huge power to the ground. That's a car that drove in, from the street. I mean, by the way, it's a hundred thousand dollars, right? Isn't it a hundred and twenty? Yeah, yeah, they're not cheap. Yeah, it's a hundred and twenty thousand dollars. So uh, there's a lot of really amazing hundred and twenty thousand dollar cars out there. But the ex- raw acceleration, like how does it feel on a road course? I have no idea what the plaid. Just pure straight line acceleration. The Tesla plaid is pretty uh, amazing. But you never see them on a road course. You never see them going through corners. And again, that's where the internal combustion is going to be the more of a driver's experience. I, I watched a video on Porsche's all wheel drive experimental EV car. And it was interesting. The professional driver that drove that car. T- I mean, it was, it was a gnarly violent car, but here's the thing he talked about was the fact that the engineers were very specific to him. Like if this warning light comes on, stop everything that you're doing immediately if this one comes on exit the vehicle immediately yeah, run away yeah <laughs> thankfully we you know again it, it we don't have to deal with that usually when in the drag racing world there something you can physically see the terrible thing that has happened that is causing you to have to run away so that that's the uh i guess the the the, the development side of the uh the EVs that needs to happen still, but it, it's going to be interesting to see how the technology plays into everything. And the second that, like I have confidence, the second that someone can roll an EV up to the starting line, that's going to accelerate from zero to 330 miles per hour in less than four seconds. Like, oh, I want to see it. Uh, bring it on. I don't think it's going to happen. No. The, the cars that have evolved have evolved like, it's amazing the level of cars you see in Top Sportsman and Top Dragster. It's amazing to see the amount of quality cars that are just out there everywhere, like high-level cars. Um, everyone has transferred their technology to one another. And so all chassis are badass now. It's, uh, it's amazing. Well, Joe, our, our time is rolling to a close here, and I always, you know, I like to ask the fun question, and for you, we're, we're going to do a little bit of uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. We're going to give you access to Bill and Ted's phone booth time machine, and you get to go on an excellent adventure through the history of drag racing 
and you get to pick one funny car racer from the past that isn't currently active and you get to bring them into present and drop them into the countdown right now and they're within striking distance of winning the championship what driver who are you going to pull from the past to throw into the mix as a historical figure in a competitive car wow well i don't know i don't think that's a fair question to everyone else i have to i have to put snake in his prime like Don the Snake, the most intense competitor of all time. Uh, I'd like to throw him right in the middle of it and let Force and Caps and, and experience them battling it all out. Um, I think Snake is still, it's very clear, whether people agree or not clear, uh, that he is one of the most compelling personalities in all of motorsport still, like with Mario and AJ Foyt. And get Snake in there. But there are so many, clearly. Oh, but yeah. I'd like to see Snake. Again, it's it's a loaded question, but God, that would be amazing to see him. Raymond Beadle, you know, Richard Tharp, you get him at the, um, so many great personalities from the past, but I don't know, you know, Al Segrini, Segrini would be a great driver, but no, Snake's the guy, man. He's, he's the icon. Snake with Bobby as his crew chief, man, that would be a, yeah. That, that would be one of those deals where you, you just talk about, you know, going to 11 on the amp. That that would definitely make this championship monstrous. I think it would be great. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, you never know what's going to happen. But, yeah, Don the Snake is, is the guy for your question. I'm old school. You know, I started watching in 1980, and – I started early on, like I was a Miami Dolphin fan and I liked the New York Yankees and I liked Don the Snake and Don Garlitz. And those were my like teams. So all personal favorites of mine as well. Funny story. Those, my family has a weird connection to snake because my grandfather taught his crew chief, Bobby Brantner for many for years when he was in school. So anytime they came to Ohio and Bobby's there. We always get to go, you know, hang out in the pit. It was the coolest thing ever, except when, when Snake wasn't having a good day. And then you could just physically feel the tension in the pit. But otherwise, like, my memories of him are just like this, it's it's almost like mythical icon. You know, just the way he moved, act, talked, it's just on a different level. They, they don't build him like that anymore, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, but let's do it another way. Let's go to the future and pull in a racer from the future that will be racing with these guys uh, maybe in a year or two. And what I would like to see really badly is Stevie Fast in a funny car. And, um, you know, maybe some of these other pro mod guys that are doing great and loving what they're doing, but they're so willing to get into the fight and talk some trash and have some fun with it and, disrespect each other in a fun playful way um you know the lyle barnett's of the world like let's get some of those guys up in there too i think that would be something uh oh, that would help the sport totally Th- throw them in a top fuel dragster sprinkle in some tony stewart for a good measure light the fuse and just step back and watch the insanity happen yeah but y- well we're, we're and we're poised on that brian which is the amazing thing is that those kind of things are possible, and all it's going to take is money. And we, <laughs> we got to get some companies that uh, see the story the way we see it and make people feel good about spending their money in drag racing to build up something cool. You know, you with you guys in drag zine, you know, I do WFO radio. We're always like trying to grow this thing. There's a whole bunch of us that are trying to grow it because we, we think it's awesome. And uh, we just got to keep on, keep on pushing. You know, it's, it's, you know, when my partner Scott and Cordell and I are working on the cars and, you know, we got to figure something out and, you know, a parts combination isn't going to work and, you know, come to the conclusion I'm going to buy something different. I'm like, it's just money. <laughs> That's all. It's just, just money. We'll figure it out later. You know, that, that, that we, we, we need to get some people with that, that kind of attitude that just want to just throw money at nitro racing and that, that would just make it all better. Right. And there, you know, yes, the answer is yes. And there's a bunch of those people. There are a bunch of those people out in the world. And you can't take it with you, folks. 
and your kids, they're not going to respect all the work you put in to get it. So you might as well just use it drag racing. That's pretty much the moral of it all. And and on that note, we'll, we'll roll things out here, Joe, where we'll give you your opportunity to, to thank who you need to thank and plug what you got going on. So uh, I'll turn the floor over to you, my friend, and you know let people know what's going on. No, thank you, Brian. Thank you for the invite. I have enjoyed it. I love these conversations. I love being a guest on someone else's show, but I do host my own show. It is called WFO Radio, like Wide Freaking Open Radio.com. We do podcasts, we do live streams, interviews with drag racers, pretty much NHRA Camping World Series drag racers in particular. If you win the race, you get on WFO Radio, and I do a debrief interview. I'm interested in all forms of drag racing. I consider myself a bracket racer uh, till right now, and I'm working on my own project as you know, as we speak, trying to get things uh, pointed back in the right direction. It's a long story, but if you want to check out our YouTube channel, WFO Radio TV on YouTube, you can see those live streams. We got podcast listeners, we got live stream viewers, and we're always trying to do something cool and positive. Um, you know, we're doing a meetup with our WFO listeners out in Vegas this weekend, and it's uh, everyone seems very excited. Whether it be dot ninety racing, class racing, like I love different aspects of all of it, as long as it's done in a safe and law-abiding way. Like it's as simple as that, right? Anything that's going to take away from um, the reputation of the sport in a negative way, I'm not into that. But other than that, send it. So thank you for having me on the show. Hopefully everyone will watch uh, NHRA from Vegas and Pomona and form your opinions. We don't know what's going to happen. And, and I want to give the extra shout out to the WFO show because it, it's awesome to see what you guys do over there. And it's, it's a different angle of the sport and it's a, uh, you know, the, you know, you talk about the winner's debrief. When I do top-end interviews on, on it, some of the uh, stuff for Flow, I always tell the racers, you know, going into the finals, semifinals, I'm like, remember, winners get sprinkles, and the winners also get interviews. So give them that little yeah. extra extra motivation to try to win. But, again, Joe, thank you for so much for coming on the show, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, Brian, thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Have a, uh, have a great day.